You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome, everybody, to 3DM's podcast. We are on episode 33, and we are finally doing our, uh, you know, bi-weekly schedule, you know, on that bi-weekly format. And, uh, you know, I I like how he said we did it to have more time to prepare, but um, life happened to both of us a little bit, and uh, we still didn't get as much time to prepare this one as we wanted to, but I think we've done a pretty bang-up job of getting everything together at the last minute. So, um, well, we got more prepared than we usually do. So. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Kind of a little bit, yeah. Um, so, guys, this week, magic items. I mean, there's not really, like, I don't have a sexy intro into that. It's We're talking about magic items and every conceivable angle of magic items we could think about. Um, so, I mean... Let's have at it. Yeah, no. What is a magical item, Paul? Uh, do you want me to give you the obvious explanation? It's an or? it's an item that's magical. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Um, but more importantly, it's an item that a character in Dungeons and Dragons would presumably find some sort of use for, even if that use isn't incredibly obvious. Uh, it's definitely got some sort of magical use in nature, as opposed to non magical, interesting items. But that doesn't really say much because the different effects of magic can be varied at best. So, um, I mean, since the dawn of D&D, since, you know, way back in ye old first edition, um, magic items have always been there as a carrot to dangle for the yes. player. Um, you know, getting money is fine and good and all that stuff. But, I mean, using that gold them gold pieces to get magical stuff has always kind of been the, uh, you know, the ultimate stick, you know, for the players to proverbially chase like dogs. Um the amount of dumb shit your players are willing to suddenly sign up for when uh, magic items are on the line. Yeah. When magic items are on the line is shocking. And so it's, you know, it's a key part of the game. And honestly, I'm surprised it took us 33 episodes to get into it, but here we go. Well, first of all, let me start and say that in the really old days of Dungeons and Dragons, first edition and the less old days of Dungeons and Dragons, second edition, you often had magical items that would, well, magic weapons, would be necessary to beat certain monsters because you literally could not hurt certain monsters without magic weapons. Thankfully, 5th edition has mostly done away with this. Yeah. But moving on. Moving on. Um, well, but we'll, we'll get into certain aspects about that. So <clears throat> let's talk about step one, okay? Your DM, your uh, players have just successfully murdered, I don't know, let's say a bunch of orcs. Orcs seem like a good idea for jerks today. Um <laughs> You know, they've successfully always a good idea for jerks. Um, they successfully cured, uh, cleared out a war camp or whatever, and there's a couple of items laying around, a couple of shinies. Um, 
you know, so let's, we're just going to go over the way damn near everybody gets their stuff. There's cause there's three primary ways. There is the looting of it. There is the buying of it. And then there is the finding it in a conveniently placed little area. Um, so let's just get the, the really annoying one out of the way first. And that is the buying of magical items. So in third edition, Paul, I'll let you, I'll, I'll let you do this one. Cause you, you like this rant. Okay. Well, the thing is, is in previous editions, that is to say first and second edition, you could buy magical items if they're available for sale, but that was a pretty big if. Uh, it depended on the size of the city and it depended on how the GM was feeling that day. And basically, you could not guarantee that you'd be able to find a specific magic item, no matter how large the city you were in was. Sometimes it would involve going on quests, sometimes it would involve attacking people for it. But in third edition, they decided to make it so that you could buy any magical items uh, up to a certain amount in cities of certain sizes. And this is contentious because they also then balanced the game entirely around players having a certain level of magical items at a certain period of time. So monsters AC and, uh, what's the word, saves would be of a certain level and their uh, attack bonuses would also be of a certain level, which assumed that you'd had magic items of a certain quantity. Like, for say, at 5th edition, you'd have plus one weapon and plus one armor, and the monsters would be balanced around that. And Pathfinder's also gone to this, but I will leave that be for now. So this is contentious because it makes magic items less of a uh, a rare and valuable thing in the world and more of a sort of keyworded, uh, standardized set of attributes that all magic items fall into instead of being things of wonder or things of legendary power. Yeah. Fourth edition also did it. Uh, they also required that you have a certain amount of uh, magical power depending on items in the same amount. And fifth edition has thankfully mostly done away with the magic item mart. But in recent books, it's sort of come uh, back. By popular demand. Um, well, because I do remember when fifth edition came out, there was a small outcry you know I, I you can never really tell by you know how many people are mad on the internet exactly how many players are actually cheesed off but uh yeah a lot of people were very upset about the fact that they just didn't have listed prices in the dmg for how much a plus one zord was you know so on and so forth um so they added that stuff in uh xanathar's uh there is a small table that gives you the approximate price of how much uh a magic item cost. Magic item. So common, uncommon, rare, um, very rare, legendary. And that's the prices they break down, uh, which go from the, um, oh, good Lord, that's a lot of money, too. Uh, wow, that's a kingdom. <laughs> legendary items will often cost more than the city they're being sold in. Yeah. <laughs> which, you know, Holy that's Avenger fair. City, Holy Avenger City. I mean, to, to not put too fine a point on it, some uh, magic items I could see uh, being something that would be sold in an actual mart, like healing potions, for yeah. example, seems like something that you'd be able to buy. In that there would be a you know a capitalistic reason. But a thousand gold is a lot of money, guys. Who's going to buy a sword for the like? Would you buy like a switchblade that costs? A hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it depends on how much switchblade and I do. <laughs> it just seems like something that would not have a great uh, rate of return. Yeah. So to speak, you'd not have people selling a, a mart full of magic items to people because nobody has that kind of money except for 
the fabulously rich murder hobos that wander into town and wreck the local economy. Yes. Um, so that brings us to, you know, with buying it, you know, it's, I mean, it's, if it's your game, it's your stuff. It's how you want to do it. If you want to change prices, that's fine. Um, you know, it would make sense for a higher fantasy setting to, you know, there might be like a blacksmith shop, um, that, you know, exists, you know, and they just like all they do is crank out magic stuff. And, you know, you show up there and you can buy whatever you want to buy. And, you know, it makes sense in a high fantasy setting in a more, uh, you know, in a low fantasy or mid fantasy, you know, kind of like a Skyrim kind of a thing. It makes more sense that you're not able to just, you know, like you may find dude. one or two in a city. But they're either not for sale or they're so prohibitively expensive that unless you're going at like from city to city to find a specific item, you're not going to be able to afford it. Now, here is actually one thing from 3.5 that I do really enjoy that I wish they would bring back. And that would be the masterwork quality Yeah, that's... for weaponry. Um, I still run it in my game as just a house rule where it's just a – you know, it's not necessarily a magic item, but it is an item of fantastic quality. Though. Yeah, it's just so damn good that it might as well be magic. Um, and I can understand that. That seems useful, but Fifth Edition did do, go a long way out of its way to try to remove as many plus bonuses as they could. Yes, which I think is good because Endgame Dungeons and Dragons ended up being stacking a certain amount of bonuses to yeah. do stuff. But if you want to do the, you know, if you wanted to do the purchasing thing, I. Uh, Little thing I recommend is yeah, just doing you know saying stuff is masterwork. Yeah, because you can't get you can't really get past plus one with masterwork anyways. You know, it's yeah. Like it, I've always viewed it as like plus two. That's where there's x amount of magic involved. Um, I did want to say one more thing, if uh, you don't mind, is that yeah, in my games I would consider that common and uncommon magical items could be purchased with some regularity, but anything beyond that has to be found or stolen or looted. Yeah. You know, or the you know the because theft at the auction house. Kind yeah, of because thing. a caravan or a, a cur- like a a courier is going to be able to get a bag of holding or a handy haversack if they're working for a particularly powerful noble. But you're not going to be able to get an instant fortress just by checking the local market. Right. So that leaves us with our other two options. Um, Luton, which is, I think, everybody's favorite way of getting a magical item. Um, and that we'll we'll jump more into the looting aspect in a little bit because it's. Uh, there is a certain balance between design and random table uh, and then finding. Yeah. Um, finding an item is just a fun little plot hook. It's a great way to, again, just, uh, you know, yep. You know, you just do the scene from Indiana Jones, you know, there's a sword on a pedestal. Hope you avoid the giant falling rock. Either that or you do the, uh, the Lord of the Rings thing where you find in the middle of your explorations, you find a magic ring hidden on the floor and somebody wants it back. Yep. Um, so a lot of ways you can do, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so let's go on to actually talking about custom versus random. Random. Um, and this is a kind of a hard thing for a lot of DMs to start with because, um, on one hand, it's, <laughs> it, it's a very fine line. You, Planning out what each character is going to get can be difficult, but at the same time, you don't want one character to get all of the stuff and everyone else to sort of fall behind. Yeah, um, and it's also like there is a time where if you like design the loot a little too perfectly for them, uh, that they will kind of balk. I've I've had that happen with some players where the loot is like you can tell it was. Literally it was made there for you. Yeah, exactly for them. And they're like, oh, how convenient. The exact sword that does exactly what is 
beneficial to what I like to do. And then, you know, they just give you a little smile and a wave. Uh, I, I should note, and this is only slightly related to the topic at hand, but I wanted to say when we were talking about looting earlier is yeah. that uh, if you're looting magic items from monsters, unless they're physically incapable of using them, they should be using them. Yeah. Like if you're going through that orphic encampment, somebody should have been using that plus one axe or whatever. Yeah, somebody should have been hit. You're just, oh, wow, I know he had this the whole time. I don't know why he was just using his random axe, random or NPC from the corner. Well, it was his daddy's axe. <laughs> he didn't want to use the magic one. He, he liked to use his daddy's axe. Oh, okay. Well, we just unpacked a whole bunch of daddy issues here. Um, We're going to get into the discussion of plus magic items versus talking about items as fantastical <laughs> things later. But – um. So the idea of, you know, the random table is you go into the back of your handy-dandy DMG, you pop that bad boy open, and you just roll them D-hundos to see what random items pop out. And there is a remarkably fine line between just, you know, hey, uh, here is a, you know, you're a fighter, here is a maul or, you know, some some random weapon that maybe you wouldn't have thought you'd use. Uh, it's got these certain qualities and it's yours now and then there is well fighter man um i rolled randomly on the table and here is something that does absolutely nothing here is your cape of the manta ray yeah here's your cape of the manta ray I, well you know the sorcerer got a wand well it doesn't matter what the sorcerer got you're stuck with a cape of the manta ray i hope you plan on swimming chief <laughs> yeah the the thing about random is that it, it does sort of put a more organic feel to the magic items in the world if you're using the sort of tableized and uh, cookie cutter magic items like the plus one swords instead of naming swords and having them. We'll get to that in a moment. But uh, the world is not just simply lining up for your party to come on through in most cases. So yeah. they should probably have at least a degree of things that are not necessarily immediately useful to the player. Right. Um but on the other hand, entrusting your character's advancement to random dice means that there's a very strong chance that they're going to be the winners on a game show as they're showered in money and magic items as opposed to where you get one potion of healing from killing a young adult dragon. Yeah. So let's talk – let's go into a little bit of customization um, stuff. Uh, you definitely do – need to like i i'm normally not pretty like you know hard on how you exactly need to run your game but i do think that a certain level of customizing weapons uh weapons armor or just like little flavor things uh about these items for your player base um really helps them get into character uh, a lot of people find that um you know I, I found that normally when i give a player a a magic item with a kind of a cool background or like a cool name and a cool look and hopefully stuff. all three of those. Honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm able to tie all these three things, you know, these like little elements together and give that to that player. That player suddenly has a much more, a much stronger feel and connection to their character. They're not just using this sword that I picked out at character creation. They are now wielding, you know, wound or, you know, <laughs> The bone saw. Yeah, the bones are, you know, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, it gives them, you know, suddenly their investment in this character just became greater because they have um, a personalized. Yeah, a personalized legend a, that you're working with. Now. Exactly. They they feel like they're creating their own legend. And part of that legend is, you know, Arthur is only so kick ass without Excalibur. You know, yeah. they're, you know, we can go through every damn story. Gay bulk from. You know, Irish myth. Yeah, hell, even, uh, you know, Harry Potter has his fucking wand. 
Okay, it's with true. his Phoenix, you know, Phoenix Feather Core and it's Holly or whatever. Someone's going to yell at me. And you didn't read enough Harry Potter. And you, yeah, you're right. Um, but the point is, though, in damn near every bit of fantasy fiction, uh, your main character or your protagonist usually has some form of signature item. You know, it's, I'm I'm vaguely reminded actually of a uh, of Fafford and the Grey Mouser, where uh, which is a, a seminal. Uh, Tale for Dungeons and Dragons, which I recommend everybody read because it's pretty much a great story of a fighter and a rogue going on an adventure repeatedly where they had they had named their weapons, but they kept losing their weapons. So every sword they picked up was the sword with this name. So that's something to also consider is you don't necessarily need magical weapons to tell a, a legend with yeah. your weaponry. Yeah. But ultimately, though, the idea is, you know, Cool design, a little bit of a backstory, give them something. Suddenly your players buy in. And when your players buy in, it's easier just to run the game. Yes. One other thing I'd like to add is that uh, you should probably avoid – and this is – again, I can't tell you how you're going to run your game. But this is my suggestion is if you're going to give a player a magical weapon out of the book, do not describe what it is first. Like if it's, for example, a plus three sword, don't call it a plus three sword. Describe what the sword looks like, its name and its history as your players know it, and they ask what its statistics are. You can tell them that it does that it's a plus three, it has plus three to attack and plus three to damage. But outside of that, call it only by its name or by its reputation. Yeah, if you're going for a much more, th- if you're, you know, thematically, because there are some tables where, you know, it's, we like to play numbers and crunch and roll dice. Fine. Um, if you're going for a bit, a uh, much more story driven thing, then yes, describing the weapon in detail beforehand and all that stuff. I mean, the beauty of phones and text messaging is, is if ever I give a player something, I can just text them. Yeah. You know, the details of the weapon and I can just describe it to everybody else, you know. And so everybody just, you know, for example, uh, you know, in our game on Wednesday, uh, Wednesdays, Paul just got a spear with flame tongue, you know, badass, a burning spear of magnificent quality. I Yeah, I described it to the everybody at the table, you know. This, you know, the spear is on fire, you know, and I do all the, you know, the imagery and stuff. And then, you know, I just tell Paul later in private, it's flame tongue. It's a plus two flame tongue spear. Yeah, plus two flame tongue. Have but fun. It, it should be noted that at a certain level, uh, there's a, a, a trade off between uh, having items be too cookie cutter, I guess. Like, <laughs> I, I'm having a very hard time describing this, so please bear with me. All right. But it feels like, uh, if your weapon is magical, you should know it as something by more than its keywords. Yeah. If an item is magical, it should be an item of either fantastic or le- power or legendary quality. Not, you know, we crank out 500 of these plus one swords every week. <laughs> Listen, if you call in to the Fantasy Mart right now, right now, we're we'll going to throw get- in a plus one longsword absolutely free. Absolutely free. It's You won't believe the deals we're giving away here today. Um <clears throat> Yeah, you know, it trying to create that mythology in your own game is very important for making these items awesome. Cuz again, when you ever, whenever you think of any fictional item from any, you know, myth or legend or tale or story, it's it always works the same damn way. You know, Hercules getting the Nemean lion skin, you know, that we had that whole setup with the Nemean lion had impenetrable skin, except for the only thing that could get through it was its claws. Yeah, you know, we don't call it the uh, the the cape of invulnerability or whatever. It's the Nemean lion's skin. Yeah. Anyway, let's so, move on to the next because I've I've rambled about that long enough. Yeah. No. So, um, you know, we 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 dove into it a little bit, but just to kind of put a tidy little bow on it too. 
making sure your player, each of your players gets at least one signature item that's kind of their own, just again, really. To help tell their legend. Help tell their legend, you know, be it a shield, be it a arcane focus, a weapon, a set of armor. Just find a way to, you know, make Give sure. Give your player a personal, magical thing that helps with their story. Yeah. Um, so, moving on. <laughs> and this is this is more from a wacky problem that kind of comes up after you've done this cycle a couple of times. You know, level three, level four, you know, everybody's finally got, like, their cool thing. And they've got their cool weapon. they got a couple maybe potions in the back pocket. Um, but let's start ramping up a little bit. You know, you get to around level six, level seven. If you're not careful... Um, your players can end up with a pile of stuff. There, the the quandary um, doesn't have a like a really cute name. It, it's just it's it's the Monty Hall problem. Okay, yeah, let's call it, it that. It's too much shit versus not enough shit, and that's the best way to boil it down. Because what ends up happening is is either your players have eighty five potions, fifty five wands, um, a bandolier to carry the wands and pull them off one by one. Yeah, like seven bags of holding to keep their random potions, you know, assorted. Um, you know, various this oils. This one's for blue potions. Very, yeah, this one's for blue, this one's for reds, this one's for greens. Um, various oils. Like, when your party has to, like, sit there and actually kind of do, an, you know, like an accounting thing on how much shit they actually have, plus managing gold, uh, it, for some players, that's their jam. For other players, that just it can it can bog be everything yeah, down. It's it adding bookkeeping. Dungeons and Dragons is already a fairly rules heavy role playing game. I'm just going to say that out right now. There's a lot of stuff to manage compared to say Powered by the Apocalypse or Fate. Yeah, uh, adding up 15 different magic items they have to keep track of what they do too is also a bad. I'm going to tell you, it's a bad idea. Most players, some players will be into that. Like I personally love managing lots of different things and keeping different juggling balls in the air. But most people are going to forget about things and feel like they're not using the stuff they have and the impact of new magical stuff will feel less. Yeah. On the other hand, uh, fifth edition still has a lot of monsters in it that require that you deal some sort of magical damage to them for it to stick. For example, I've been in my recent game, my players have been fighting a lot of undead. Whites are resistant to non-magical bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing, which means they have an absurd amount of hit points with a party that has one magical weapon. <laughs> no, I just I, I love your one magical weapon. We had this conversation in the car. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but the fantasy button knife <laughs> um, never goes dull. So you need to. Think about because you either need to start removing the resistance to non-magical damage on some monsters or you need to consider giving out at least a couple magic items by a certain level because that's just how the game – I'm not going to say that it fits tone-wise, but that's just how the game is balanced. So be cognizant of that. <clears throat> that that's that's my piece on that. No, sorry. I was going to step in there, but I had a frog in my throat. Um, yeah, the – it's it's a very delicate balancing act that has to be maintained when you're giving your party loot, and it kind of goes back to you know the acquisition part of getting the loot. Um, I, I'm that's why I'm pretty fond of when I'm writing out an area that I know is going to be packed with loot. Um, I'll write a majority of the stuff, and then I will roll on the random items table once or twice just to see if something that makes sense is there, like if. You know, it's like, okay, we do the whole breakdown and, you know, we'll say it's on table H. Okay. I don't know why this thieves guild that's in 
a landlocked city has a fucking trident of fish command. I mean, I could explain it away and I could write a story up for it, or I could just not give the players a trident of fucking fish command. Give them a trident of mole command. Yes, moles. Um, the moles will consume you. Yeah. Also, one of our uh, reader, uh, one of our listeners just commented that in defense of 4th edition, 4th edition, unlike 3rd edition, also had an optional rule in the Dungeon Master's Guide, which allowed you to change the progression bonuses so that you didn't need magical items. Yeah, you know, it's a sentence you hear more and more every day. In defense of fourth edition, yeah. <laughs> and it's 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 funny how uh, time and distance make the heart grow fonder. Indeed, uh, <laughs> but but anyway, back to our uh, back to the main point though. Um, and when it comes to just giving your players too much stuff again, you know, we've already talked about it, bookkeeping, but at the same time, you need to make sure your players have enough uh, and feel like they're progressing. When yeah, they do things. A, uh, a good uh, a quality example, I think, of like what a, you know, let's say what a fifth level person should look like, you know, assuming, you know. A fifth level character is um, a regional hero. So. Yeah. You know, and they probably have a plus one weapon, maybe probably. a plus one armor. They probably have a plus one something. Let's put it like that. Yeah. They got a plus one weapon. They've either got a plus one armor or maybe a shield. Which or, is, you know, a magically enchanted thing. Or, you know, or like a random cloak um they usually have one other like kind of useful magical object like a uh, portable hole bag of holding a movable rod immovable some some kind of wacky thing like floating amongst the party there should be about three of those um and then i wands and potions are you know something we'll dive into They're- a little bit more later but i do hate on every damn loot table i've ever seen that like like when you look at high level play it's just there's like 85 potions and it's like i'm just going to sit here and <laughs> healing potions are a necessity i'm going to get to this right now despite my often stated hatred of magics except for hard support magics which i usually play uh healing potions are necessary for parties that do not have a dedicated healer and clerics are not really dedicated healers anymore, so almost every party needs healing potions. But all these other potions, they feel kind of extraneous. Well, you know, it's funny, too, because it's uh, the Final Fantasy effect always happens in that a lot of times players won't use the potions because they're afraid that a better opportunity will come up later. They might need it later, and then they just end the game with a bajillion potions. Um, I would be very careful with your potions outside of a couple, like... If your players specifically go out of their way looking to make a potion to allow all of them to climb walls, I would say go ahead and let them brew it with a couple weeks' work or something for whatever their heist plan is. But I would take a lot of the potions out of the random table and replace it with – like honestly, if we go into the Dungeon Master's Guide and we look at the magic item table, I would take about half those potions out and replace them with random art items or gem items. Yeah, just loot stuff because um, – I mean, you don't need most of these potions, you know, and this this not obviously none of this applies if your table actually drinks potions like they're going out of style, <laughs> like them bitches have an expiration date and Costco wants the bottles. Back. <laughs> there's a deposit on the bottles. Yeah, you're, there's you're gonna a deposit. Be damned yeah, they're not going <laughs> to listen. I paid an extra 10 cents for that healing potion. OK, I'm going to get that damn deposit back. Um, pass them around like party favors. Yeah, pass them around. You want a little healing potion? You know. Here, bud. Here, guy. Uh, <clears throat> the same happens with oils. Um, oils, potions. They're all the same. Any Oils, I know they exist in older editions, but they really feel to me like a relic of third edition. Yeah. Where there's sort of a stopgap if you didn't have a plus weapon with enough to overcome the monster's damage resistance. Yeah. It, I don't know. 
look, I've ranted enough on this one. I'm going to just stay quiet on that bit. Okay. Uh, alternatives to as he you know uh, as Paul suggested. Bleh, I've got words out today. I'm sorry. As Paul suggested, a great idea again is to replace replace with art objects. Um, another quality idea is you can instead of handing out random ability potions uh i like random kind of uh, small magical item effects if you can come up with them like cute little quality of life stuff yes that people would have in a universe with lots of magic which would not necessarily be useful for an adventure like as we discussed as we briefly alluded to earlier, the first magical weapon that my party got their hands on in my Friday game was a kitchen knife that never, ever dulls. And that has seen so much use for reasons that you would probably not expect is that, again, a lot of monsters are immune to non damage from non-magical weapons. So this kitchen knife has been used to kill... I think at least 15 undead that have resistance to non-magical bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing. And the other one I've seen is uh, in my now defunct Tuesday game, they had a jug of alcohol that would refill every day. And sure, that's not going to be useful for most adventurers, but who wouldn't want to have a, you know, a jug that refills with liquor every day? Yeah, no, it makes – again, it makes – adds to the story, adds to the legend. Uh in Xanathar's, there is a small list of just like kind of neat little effects, um, like neat, not super, you know, powerful magic items. It's more just like yeah, the folklore items. Like, yeah, oh, this is my feather that when a loved one is in danger, it turns red. Yeah, um, you know, a uh, helm that you know makes the eyes go like glow red, and that's kind of all it does. Um, a necklace that makes your sleep always restful. Yeah, stuff like that. You know. Shit you would buy if you lived in this fantasy world and you saved up and it's like, man, I tell you what, I'm tired of my drinks being warm all the time. We don't have this thing called refrigeration. Yeah. I want this ring that whenever I'm holding it, my drink is always frosty. Yeah. Um, little details like that just add more immersion. Knickknacks that the local wizard would make for the to yeah. sell. Yeah, them. to sell to the local populace, you know. <clears throat> for reasonable sums of, you know, five gold, ten gold, you know. Yeah, eight. sure, it'd be a luxury item, but it's not useful for an adventurer or, exactly. or an army, so. Um, so that brings us to the very next bit. Um, although, I actually, I do want to take a step back because that did make me think of something. Um, talking about that, <laughs> your fantasy butter knife, <laughs> your uh, kitchen knife that never goes dull. Um, and that is the concept of leveling weapons. This is something that you'll see in RPGs or, um, you know, video games a lot where over time after enough usage, you know, usages, you know, you'll, it'll, the item will level up kind of like a player. Um, and I'm kind of springing this one on you, Paul, because we didn't discuss this beforehand. Well, I'm going to spring sling on you in a little bit here, so go ahead. Okay. Um, so, like, thoughts, feelings on eventually that, you know, knife actually developing some properties after it's been in enough uh, – you know, sticky situations. Sticky situations. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's been shoved into enough uh, what I'm assuming is ne uh, necromantically made undead at this point. That and necromancers at this point. Yeah. No, no. Well, exactly. I killed three necromancers last week. <laughs> so Exactly. So, you know, at some point it's got to be. It's actually a pretty high magic setting. So, yes, I think at some point perhaps that knife will develop more magical properties. And I think additionally uh, weapons sort of developing alongside you also adds again to their legend as opposed to this is a plus four vorpal sword. It's. 
This is a Sabarak, the sword that has slain a thousand hobgoblins. Yeah. It grows stronger with the blood of each one it kills. <laughs> Excalibur, or Arthur never threw Excalibur away because he found a better sword. Found Excalibur plus two. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, found Excalibur two and don't need you anymore. Oh, just chucks over the shoulder. Yeah. Um, I should note that there's also – you can give signature items that may or may not actually be useful for combat at all. One example I was going to bring up is in Exalted 3rd Edition, one of my players had an, a staff, a wooden staff that could be used in combat like a quarter staff, but was not intended for that purpose because what it did is, is if you planted it in the ground like a tree sapling, it would grow into a fruit tree that would feed you and up to 10 other people and its limbs could be cut off for firewood every night. So it would provide food and shelter and firewood and you could take it back out every day. And that is a cool magical item because yeah. that's a hell of a story you can tell with that. And again, and it's very practical. And sure, again, you can use it in a fight, but it's just a quarter staff. Yeah, it's just a beaten stick. I'm going to hit you on the stick. Yeah. So that's all I had to say about that. No, no, that's, again, that's exactly what we're going for here. Um, which let's just, you know, we got everyday usage items that we're talking about. And just one last time, we're going to jump into customization and everyday usage. Um Trying to trying to hit this nail home, uh, this nail on the head, sending it home. That the best way to you know really endear items to your players is to make them do something that is incredibly useful to the players, and it becomes part of the players' identity. Yeah. It doesn't even need to necessarily be very good in combat. Again, with the magic staff, that was sort of a player's thing. Yeah, is they could always provide food for ten people. Yeah, and it you know it becomes part of what that character does on a daily i'm trying to think of um i i guess because weirdly i got uh harry potter on the brain all of a sudden again um but like hermione had her uh the time turner yeah the time turner which in book holy, three should have came shit, that thing was yeah should have came back later but yeah no because everybody still talks about it um you know neville longbottom had the remember all you know which was although i should point out and this should be so blindingly obvious that I'm probably going to get slapped for this, but Harry yeah. Potter is a fairly high magic setting. Yeah, no, but still, you know, little knickknacks like that, you know, when you think of these characters, you also think of that little knickknack. And that's ultimately what we're getting at. Let's talk about some of the big shit, though. The, the big five, I believe, we had listed. Yeah, the, the items that usually come up in either stories about how something went wrong or something went right. And the ones that show up in every game. Yeah, the ones that show up in every game. So let's start with just the one that I think every Has started the most stories out of any item in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, the uh, the ultimate shit stirrer, and uh, it the opinion on it is divided. Shall we say thoroughly divided? Deck of many things. Um, this has been this horse has been beaten to death. We're eaten. not going to talk too much about the pluses and minuses of it. It will do something. It will definitely have an effect on your game, and good or bad. Uh, <laughs> spin the wheel make a deal yeah uh i mean so just grazing over the deck of many things you know i if if you're watching a D podcast i'm pretty sure you're, you're familiar with the it. deck of many things if but you'd for, like to know know more go check out matt colville shit on it go check out nerdarchy shit on it uh if you're if you're somebody who has not played dungeons and dragons is somehow listening to the show like my grandma occasionally hi grandma hi Graham. uh the deck of many things is a magical deck of playing cards that has a different effect depending on which card is drawn yeah. from gaining a level to gaining an absurd amount of money to losing all of your worldly possessions to having your soul taken out of your body and stored in the possession of a powerful demon it can give you a really good day or it can give you a really bad day um as a dm 
quite simply using the deck of many things, uh, there's only three reasons it would come out. Um, reason number one, and this is valid for you as a DM, you want to test yourself. The deck of many things. It is the ultimate improv test. Yeah, it literally will just take your lovely written, you know, planned plot, you know, your bullet points that you're trying to hit with your plot, and it will kick it straight in the dick. Um, it is not... Uh, most most planned games do not last the deck of many things because the plan changes very quickly. Yes, it's it's no plan survives contact with the enemy taken to eleven. Yeah, taken to the chance that there are like ten different chances that it, just something's going to be fucked. Ten up. different enemies walking around you with beaten sticks, slapping them into your hands, waiting for you to draw. Um, reason number two, you would use the deck of many things um, as a plot device. It's actually a everybody would want it. Yeah, no, every person would want it. It would be, um, even though I'm not a fan of the movie, um, it would be like in Bright when everyone's trying to get the magic wand. Like even, well, that's the whole shtick in the movie. It's like, oh, well, only point zero 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 fucking nobody can use this magic wand. But if you can, it's amazing. <clears throat> Same thing with deck, deck of Many Things. Kingdoms would fight over it because... Sure, <clears throat> you can have a random peasant yell of it. Sure, what what if... Billy Bob, the peasant, loses all of his worldly possessions. How much do you think he cares? Yeah, he doesn't give a shit. And even then, oh no, I lost a horse and my two silver. Yeah, you know. Likewise, the king who gets it doesn't think. You know, it's like when you buy a scratch off ticket. You don't buy a scratch off ticket because you think, oh well, I just wasted twenty bucks. You buy a scratch off ticket because you think you're about to win two million dollars. Admittedly, though, like the, the more you have, the more you stand to lose with it. Yeah. So they'd probably gift it to more loyal but impoverished servants. You know, but you know, you could definitely see a. Uh, you know, a king or nations or powerful entities just fighting over it. And then the players coming onto it and then having to make that decision, knowing that the good and bad can happen. That's out there for them. And reason number three you want to use the deck of many things is, frankly, you've had enough of your player shit. Um, <laughs> I, I do not endorse this, by the way. Yeah, no, this is not like I don't recommend this at all. But uh, that is the ultimate uh Put up or shut up on the table because either everything is about to go really great for them or you are about to just ruin the game. But you're going to completely change how the game goes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. You so, could roll into <laughs> number three. Yeah. You'd like to shake things up and see where they settle because things have been too solved for your liking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, deck of many things. Go check out Coville. Go check out everybody. They'll break down what every card does. It's. Well, we're going to give our own personal recommendation that you cut out a couple of the cards. Uh, only one of these is in the standard 13-card deck. Most of the 22-card decks have a much stronger impact on the game, including the completely BS balance card, Yeah, which just feels stupid because the importance of alignment has been removed. In this importance of alignment has been removed, but it's also really hard for uh, – I find most players struggle with that. They get that card and like they've already – you know, they know exactly who they want to play, what they're trying to play. And then just to sum up, the balance card reverses your alignment. Yeah. And, um, you know, suddenly, you know – I. You know, I was the neutral good ranger. Now I'm the neutral, neutral evil, evil ranger. ranger. You know, shit. How do I role play that change? You know, it's, yeah, it's it's a hard thing for, uh, you know, you'd have to be a very good player to roll with that punch. Um, so balance can go right away. Uh, talons can go because it... <laughs> talons it undoes all of the hard work you've ever given to your player. Their magic items all vanish. Yeah, they're all just destroyed. They're gone. They're gone. Done. I mean, artifacts actually are supposedly reappear elsewhere later, but, hmm. but not in the possession of a player. Yeah, but the point being, though, it messes. <laughs> it just completely changes the tempo of the character. All, all 40 minutes of the shit we just talked about is undone. Um, 
let's see, uh, and void as far as like the bad consequences stuff. Yeah. Um, because void is just basically congratulations, roll a new character. It, <laughs> there is a way around it. Um, where you can you know like you can definitely yeah, you write some clever very stuff. High level to deal with those. Yeah, involved. but even then, a lot of it like involves a wish and a bunch of other stuff. If your best friend was taken and put into hell, and you don't know how to get to hell or even magic at all, how far are you going to go to retrieve him? Like you don't even know if it's possible to get him back. How much money are you willing to dump into this pit to get him back? Enough. Um, I believe there was one more, which is Vizier, which Vizier is an interesting one because it's in the 22-card deck, so it's obviously quite rare. Yeah. But Vizier is interesting because in some games it has the potential to be an utterly average draw and in other games a plot-ruining device. Yeah, uh, Vizier allows the player to ask the DM one question, and the DM has to answer truthfully and has to be helpful. So you can't sit there and you you know can't you use... can't spout off a cryptic riddle because the yeah. character has to be able to understand and use whatever information they have they to can. take what information they use, and it all comes down to the player. Like if the player asks a poor question, you know, like then sure, whatever the Vizier card is not a huge problem. But if you're playing a highly political game with multiple factions, and the player asks like, "How can I solve the solution with everyone coming out happy?" You're like, shit. Shit, yeah. No, that's when you just pour, you know, pour a cup of whiskey. And All right, light man, a take cig- five. Yeah, light a cigar. Oh, this, will, this will be about 15 minutes. i got to figure out how to solve my own bullshit. Um, so so I'd, pull, I'd pull Vizier, and um, if anything, I would probably pull um, maybe the moon card, but that's more of a me personally thing. I think uh, the wish spell is. 1d3 wishes is rough. Yeah, it's rough on you, and it's um, <laughs> the funny thing about players getting wishes who weren't expecting to have wishes is uh, they're the, probably going to get burned pretty quickly, but they're probably going to be even more think fast. Um, that and just like the amount of dickery they can kind of do. But I, I want to do a separate episode on the wish spell one day because it's we'll talk about signature spells. Yeah, time. that's a that's a high level biatch. Um, so next item, and this one, you know, we're going from the event changing to, like, this is just this the most useful thing for your party. Most iconic item in Dungeons & Dragons. My mother references this, and she's never played yeah. a bag of holding. of Dungeons & Dragons. The bag of holding. It holds <laughs> up to 600 pounds of items and always weighs 15 pounds. Yep. It's up to 64 feet, a cubic feet of space. That's pretty much all it does. But the utility of being able to carry 600 pounds of stuff as 15 pounds should not be underestimated. Like, I'm not going to lie. I hate my games being simulationist because I don't want my players to have to sit there and go, well, am I over-encumbered? Am I carrying too much weights? What's my push? What's my drag? You know, the only time I ever try to figure out push and drag is if it's like they're... I'm going to carry this gold-encrusted throne home. Yeah. You can't do that. You know, or if it's in, like, a bang-bang situation where, like, they need to shove something off a cliff or, you know, we actually need to figure out how what your muscles can do, then... You know, that's when I care. But other than that, I do not want my players to have to sit there and puzzle out their push lift drag. Yeah, you know, and exactly how much they can carry. And, you know, oh, what do I need to leave behind? I'll just throw the shit in a bag of holding. Can I just say, thank God, 5th edition removed most of the nonsense that comes to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Um, <laughs> same thing with Handy Haversack, except. Uh, Handy Haversack, it carries a lot less stuff. It carries a total of, I believe, around 200 pounds. But whenever you reach into the bag, uh, whatever you're looking for is always right there. And that's another great item that I think would appear in like a regular world. 
Yeah. Like a world in which magic items are a regular thing. You'd have, this is my magical toolbox that whenever I reach into it, the tool I'm looking for is always right there. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a bitchin' item. Uh, it's also only five pounds. So yeah. Fits in the TSA. Bag. And then there's, uh, what is it? It's Helver's Haversack? That's the handy Haversack. No, the uh, the other the other sack, the bigger bag of holding. Uh jeez, I can't remember. Not the portable hole, surely. No, 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 no. Um, Havard's handy haversack. Yeah, I believe so. Something like that. Yeah, there's there's a bigger bag of holding. Um, but point being, you can uh, just carry multiples of them. You can't put them inside each other. Things explode. But yeah, only fifteen pounds. Um, and also too, it's I've seen so much creativity used with a bag of holding. Uh, shout out to Andrew, um, who once. <laughs> Comedically uh, stuffed him and his because uh, they were two rogues and they were both partners of crime. He was an arcane trickster, and so they put themselves inside a bag of holding, and he used mage hand to fly their little bag <laughs> up onto a rooftop, and like they used it, like they used it creatively and amazingly. If only they just hadn't like <laughs> jumped into a lit fireplace and didn't think about that part. <laughs> I'm reminded also, unfortunately, of uh, Orzhov the Pokemon. Yeah. Where the paladin was just sitting in a bag of holding while the uh, rogue did the talking to people and would jump out and beat people up whenever the need. <laughs> you could yak. You could yak. Get in get, the sack. Get in the sack. <sighs> that was incredibly boring as a player who was in the bag, but it was an ingenious idea. It's a great way to smuggle people in. Yeah, it really is. Um, and that <laughs> – let's move on. Uh Instant Fortress, because we just we're going to burn through some of these. Because there is one thing I really want to get to. Um, the Instant Fortress, you throw it down on the ground, and it forms. I believe it's a fifteen by fifteen pillar of stone. Yeah, that is basically a portable fortress. Yeah, portable fortress. Make it, everyone in the area makes a deck save or takes ten d ten bludgeoning damage, which is ow. Yeah, ten d ten. It is one of my favorite items to give players. Just to see how they'll use it. Uh, well, in the older editions, you could get away with like dropping that shit on people. Um, now it says you, you know, in this edition, you have to have it on the ground. Um, but you don't, you, you can't throw it on a flat surface anymore. It has to be placed on the ground. Yeah. Um, but what I do like love about it is it's just a, it's a neat, tidy way to give your players like their stronghold. You know, and if so, if you got them, you know, jaunting all over the world and stuff, you know, because, you know, some of my campaigns, you know, every, you're going everywhere. You're not going to the Magnificent Mansion because nobody's got time for the spell slots for that. Yeah, exactly. You know. Um, it, oh, it's a nice spell. I like it is a nice spell. But, you know, just the idea of, you know, it's a super cool item and they, you know, they get it and boom. They have a place to stay. Also, the, I think the Instant Fortress, outside of the next item on this list, is the item with the most shenanigans that have been thought about that involve it. Yeah. The Instant Fortress is an idea that almost everyone has a different wacky use for. Or at least some theory that, you know, you have to then sit there and try to figure out whether or not it's possible. Rules, yeah, with rules if it is allowed. Um, <laughs> the next so item let's is. Let's get to that next item. Immovable rod. Just just Google just Google immovable rod stories because they're always fucking hilarious. I think my personal favorite is the one that stays perfectly still in the universe, but your planet is rotating around it, so it takes off at incredible speeds and you press the button. <laughs> so as your planet spins, it stays in the exact same place and moves it like 600 miles an hour through a castle. <laughs> the thing is that the, to sum it up, the immovable rod is, I believe, a, a foot-long black metal thing. With a button on one, and when you press the button, it just sits there in midair. 
And it takes something absurd like a DC 30 strength check to push it, which in 5th edition is damn near impossible if you're not a cloud giant or something. Yeah, a cloud giant to rask. And even then you're like, I need an 18 for the Tarask to push this thing. Yeah. So long story short, the immovable rod can be used for dozens of things. You can use two of them as an impromptu ladder or three of them is probably better. You can use one to bar a door pretty much perfectly. You can use one to hold something in midair. You can use one to block uh, – what's the word? To uh, hold a great shot. Yeah. Basically, if you want something to stay where it shouldn't, you can use an immovable rod, rod to do it. it. Again, just – I mean we could sit here and just read the stories, but no. Just go Google immovable rod stories because they're always hilarious. Um, and they're very creative. Um, and then the last thing – actually, we'll, we'll skip the last thing, but um, just sum it up quick. Wands. Every player I ends think, up getting wands yeah, at some point. I think – Ultimately, wands sort of detract from the fantasy of every weapon having a unique story. But they were necessary in older editions to cast rare spells. Yes. Um, I, However, I do enjoy the idea of a wand. Um, there, there's a couple of wands where, uh, you know, loaded with an offensive spell or like a light offensive spell. Like a uh, – A wand of magic missile is something that most magic-using militaries would probably have a couple of. Yeah, like a wizard having one or, um, you know – object like that also um like a limited cast of invisibility or whatever it's kind of like the potion but players are more it's are more weird. likely to use it because you've got 10 of them yeah yeah players are weird though like they'll use the wand but they'll never drink the potion um at least that's been my experience but let's get on to the last bit because we got about 10 more minutes of show uh sentient items and cursed items. I actually – this is one thing I'm going to fully admit I don't know the origins of. I know sentient items have been around for a long time, but I don't know the edition they originated in. Yeah. So a sentient item is an item with its own mind. Uh, yeah, wow. Paul bringing the hard hit and commentary here. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, ooh, revelatory. What uh, I had no but, idea. There's a couple different ways to go about this. In 3rd edition, for all my hatred of 3rd edition, 3rd edition did do a decent job of describing the different variations of uh, sentient items, which 5th edition does a lot less work, uh, heavy lifting on, which is for the probably for the best because thinking about the alignment and goals of a sentient item, while important, is not something you need 10 tables of. So a sentient item obviously is an item that has, has its own mind, which means that it's basically an NPC that you're going to keep around. Generally, you'll want it to be attached to a useful magical item and it will do something useful and will probably uh, draw your players, the player who uses it, towards a specific goal. I mean, yeah, they show up in a lot of the pre-written adventures and stuff. Um, Really quick, uh, just as an aside, like for where I find the biggest use for sentient items um, is actually in trying to coax role play out of players who um, have a hard time like getting getting into the character yeah Yeah, getting either getting into the character or like relating to the rest of the party i'm going to use a quality example of uh i had a player who played a fighter who was named a newer goldman and his you know he was bill goldberg in fantasy basically just walked around and kicked ass and murdered everything but he stayed very aloof and wouldn't interact with the other players yep he you know didn't have much interaction with the players other than talking shit to them (laughs) which you know fits for a character but you know that we 
you know, I was trying to coax more out of him so, you know, people could at least have that kind of meta understanding of, like, who he really is. And so I designed a series of three sentient items um, that he would wear. It was a set of armor, a uh, shield, and a sword, um, honor, pride, and glory. And each of them had their own motivations and tried to convince him to do things uh, relating to their goals. You know, glory was always used for comedic effect because it was just a sword that just, you know, basically reinforced everything he ever wanted to do. But the sword or the uh, the shield and the armor um, actually, you know, tried to appeal more to his humanity. He, you know, he was kind of a butcher on the battlefield. Like, he was not a good guy. We keep joking that, like, that character is actually a bit of a bastard. And, you know, he's like, oh, but no, no, he was a good guy. He's, he's actually... He's technically good. Kind of a warlord. So. Uh, but the point being, uh, with that... And being able to have those conversations, like having him talk to his shield and having his armor talk to him. Other than looking like a lunatic. Other than, other than him looking fucking insane, was it allowed the rest of the party to actually get a much deeper understanding of who the character was. Yeah, so it's, it's useful if you want to have an NPC around uh, who will be always taking w- taken with the uh, player characters but does not necessarily need to be babysat. Yeah, it like is a NPCs. good um, – yeah, it's a good – um, way to substitute if you don't want to do the NPC uh, or like a DM NPC like for example you know the one game I had the I have the wizard who follows everybody around because they it was a fucking druid a cleric and a f- paladin no one no one could roll any magic no one could roll any test. intelligence tests they, until the very end of the campaign yeah they were all really bad at it so. You know, I made the wizard just to, you know, go with them just so they could have somebody who could, you know, feasibly be the brains on shit. Um, it's also a way to add color commentary without necessarily mocking your players. Well, I mean, the item can mock the players, but they can, you know, make fun of the item in return. You can do the same, but yeah, you can do the same concept, though, as, you know, instead of giving them a wizard, give them a sentient item that just knows. you know, Or like, you know, has been around for a long time and, you know, has gained knowledge or whatever. It's it's a useful tool. I don't use them very much because I find that I already use a lot of characters. But I think if you have a character that's very closed off or you'd like to inject some more color commentary in a fairly solitary campaign. Or you would like to, you know, maybe give them, you know, maybe they're floundering in purpose or whatever. You know, like maybe the rest of the party has, you know, like their, uh, their stuff tied to this horse, but they don't. Sentient items. They're yep. badass. And they're great for horror stuff, too. Yeah. Um, Especially because they can try to take over the mind of the person using them. Hand of Vecna. Um, Which I would love to talk about the Hand of Vecna more, but we don't have time. Um, Although I guess that is a good segue into cursed items. And that's the last bit. Um, Paul, how do you feel about putting them curses on your, you know, putting them spells on your boys? Well, I'm actually not a huge fan of cursed items, all told, but I have used them a decent amount. Uh, I feel like it's sort of a cheap shot at the players who are expecting some sort of powerful item. And most of my games tend to be higher power than cursed items would generally allow. Yeah. Uh, that said, I do often implement curses on items that are otherwise useful. Uh, one of my players in, again, my Exalted game had a magical axe that could cut through just about anything but constantly demanded blood and would compel the player to violence if uh, they hadn't fought enough stuff recently. <laughs> Isn't that uh, – I think I know where you got that. Isn't that from uh, Don't Starve but instead of cutting trees or yeah. eating wood? Yeah. Well uh, – eh, It's close. Uh, it's close. It's in, it's in spin. I'm distance. not going to say anything about that because I got some of my players listening but maybe. <laughs> Hello, Lucy the Axe. <laughs> maybe. 
Just replace blood with maple syrup. Um, <laughs> uh, I do. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you on that idea for the curses because, I mean, as we've talked about. Who intentionally makes a magical item that's bad? It's got to be something that was intended to be helpful and has gone wrong. Yeah, it was that or, you know, some asshole, probably a lich, maybe a cleric, you know, put a curse on the object just to quit it from being helpful. Um, I do, however, like the idea for storytelling purposes. Um, and sometimes, like, the high-risk, high-reward shit is fantastic on a cursed item. Like, um the you know having the ability to have a player actively have to make that choice like uh I'm trying to remember what it is uh it's the axe of berserking or it's an item like that um gives advantage on attack rolls but forces you to attack the closest target or something like that yeah well you have to like roll um but the point is um just the the options of a player suddenly having to make that choice to deal with a curse um one that I saw that I actually really enjoyed uh, conceptually was a uh, it was a plus two mace, and and this was like in a kind of a homebrew think tank, but I really like the idea on paper. And this um, mace, uh, every two rounds, drains one Constitution point from you temporarily. You can regain it after a uh, short enough rest, but you do regain. Um, you regain half of the damage done uh, as HP for both you and every ally within 10 feet. Hmm. And so, you know, the idea being eventually, you know, your constitution goes down, your HP ultimately goes down, but you're able to heal everybody around you. You know, an idea of a curse like that is... um, Interesting. Yeah, like I could definitely see a paladin going, well, I guess I'm losing constitution for a bit. Wacko, 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 wacko. One thing I don't like is cursed items that you're forced to keep because that feels way too much like a gotcha. Yeah. No, yeah, that's that. I will say that is bad DMing. Um, if there's something cool about a cursed item, you know, like a cursed, you item. should probably make them want to hold on to it rather than you can't let go of it. Or you know, just the imply the let's find a way to get rid of the curse. Yeah, yeah, pretty straightforward. Uh, all right, final thoughts, Paul, because we've got to wrap up. Magic items are a useful tool, but I think they've been somewhat overused by uh, modern editions of Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, I can definitely agree. Um, I have the idea of our I particularly enjoy the idea of less is more yes i think the i think by the end of uh like a 10th level campaign i think every player should have about five magic items i could see that that you know i would do more three or four myself but yeah you know granting my pace you know like i mean this is this is just me because i i only you know i dm at my speed uh you know a campaign from one to level 10 would take me probably about five or six months yeah and so I think over that time frame, every player just, you know, getting a, a new shiny every couple of weeks, just a, you know, a pretty new pet to play with, um, ultimately makes people happy. Yeah. And, you know, just try to flex your creative muscles. Um, cool weapon design in uh, item design is paramount, paramount to just good storytelling, because not only does it help invest your players in their own characters, but it also helps them invest in your world. Because if they start seeing cool shit like that that they just got, I bet there's even cooler shit out there. Mm-hmm. And with that, 
Uh, that's going to be our show this week, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We record out of the podcast Detroit studios in Royal Oak, Michigan. If you're in southeastern Michigan area and like to start a podcast, it's as easy as going to podcastdetroit.com and uh, contacting and getting more information from there. Uh, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 3DMs, uh, spelled T-H-R-E-E. The old way. The old way. Uh, We're on Twitter, too. 3DMs podcast. Uh, follow us on Facebook at 3DMs podcast. Uh, Twitter.com slash 3, spelled the old-fashioned way, uh, underscore DMs underscore pod. And we have a Discord. We do have a Discord. Yeah, we'll plug, plug the Discord. Uh, after this show, uh, head to our Facebook page, and we will throw up a link to our Discord. You can come in there, hang out. Uh, we're going to try to get a blog going just to sum up the ideas that we got for every episode, and I want to start posting more stuff in the Discord. Yeah. Um, but other than that, yeah, guys, that's our show that's this it. week. Um, I think next week we're going to – or next time we get together, we're going to be doing uh, Dragon Heist. Dragon Heist sounds good. Yeah, I'm going to be – hopefully be picking that up shortly so we'll uh we'll talk about what you can do with an absurd amount of money till then roll well guys and we'll see you when we see bye bye